It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Dallas and Dave for that wonderful performance. I, I particularly was attracted to the lyric where it says, I was trying to catch that crippled man. Did he pass by this way? Oh, that Jesus Christ could change somebody's life so dramatically that he went from not being able to walk to running home to tell everyone about what Jesus did for him. This is the God we serve, and he is reaching out to us in our time of trouble, in our time of need, and I think we can all take comfort in that. And the fact that this crippled man was running uh, fits well with the topic of our message today, which is entitled, Running with Purpose. Uh, This year was a new year for my family. Uh, This last fall, um, we became a cross-country family. Ryan joined the middle school cross-country team. Uh, Most of the meets have a 3,000-meter course, which maps out to 1.86 miles, and it is uh, quite a sport. Um, As a spectator, it's kind of weird because a lot of the courses are set up so that they only allow you uh, to see bits and pieces of the race. Uh, One of the races was set up that you could basically see the start and the finish. You don't really know what happened in between because they were off running in the forest. But Ryan ran in six different meets this year, and he had some great ups and downs. He set his personal record in the second meet of the season, and after that, he really struggled in some of his races. I was concerned for Ryan because of his struggles after doing so well in the beginning of the season, uh, so I decided I would try to do what I could to help him, and uh, we would go running on the days when he didn't have practice. So what I decided to do is I I mapped out a course in our neighborhood, and that would equal about 1.86 miles, the distance that he would be running in competition. And then we would run together, and I would challenge him to run until he felt like he needed to stop, and then we would be done for the day and just go home. My genius plan was that uh, every time we would go running, I would challenge him to run a little bit further than the last time we went running. And eventually, we would just run the whole thing and and then just end up right back at home. The first night, we ran 0.3 miles, three-tenths of a mile. I felt pretty great after that. I was thinking, tomorrow night, I'm going to push him to run at least a half of a mile, you know, almost not quite double of what he did the night before, but enough to get, to get in his mind that, you know, you can, you can continue to do stuff even though your body or your mind might be saying you need to stop. So the next night, we got up, got out a little bit earlier in the evening, and we started running. We passed three-tenths of a mile, and he was doing good. Then we passed half a mile, and he didn't want to stop. I'm excited for him. He really, really pushed beyond the first night, and we kept going. Then we reached a full mile. He is doing fine. And this is when the regret starts kicking in. The reality of this scenario is that at this point, he had been running every day after school for six to eight weeks, and I had been running consecutively for two days. 
And the first day, wouldn't you know, I only ran three-tenths of a mile. It was at this point that I became a very fatherly figure and started checking in on Ryan more regularly to see when and if he was ready to stop. At one and a half miles, my out-of-shape body was rebelling against me. My feet hurt, my legs hurt, I was out of breath, and Ryan kept on running. We basically made the full length of the course that I mapped out, and he was feeling great. I was not. The best part about this story is that just last week we were talking about those running times, and the reason Ryan only ran three-tenths of a mile that first night was because it was dark out. He didn't want to run in the dark. So the next day it was still light out when we started, so he didn't uh, feel so nervous about it, so he felt like bringing me the pain. So I thought a lot about those nights leading up to this message. I think I even more appreciated the struggles that Ryan was going through during his season because after only the second day of running, I wanted to stop and take a break because, if we're being honest, I felt like I was slowly dying. I believe that cross-country is just as much of a mental sport as it is a physical sport. You have to tell your body to keep going even when it is telling you to stop. My hope for Ryan going into the next cross-country season, if he does it, is that he will be able to run an entire course without stopping to walk. I think he can do it, and if I can help him by torturing my out-of-shape self, I will pay that price. But there is something Something beautiful about the notion of pressing on, continuing to run the race even when your body says that you need to stop. The idea of preparing and training to lay it all on the line when the starting shot fires loud and true. There is a sweet nobility in this motion, and if you listen closely in your mind, you can almost hear the music from Chariots of Fire playing in the deep recesses of your memories as you think about running a race in slow motion. This is the theme of my message today, running with purpose. Today's scripture passage is found in the first of two letters that Paul wrote uh, to the believers in Corinth. Uh, You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This book in the text is one of Paul's early letters that he wrote, and although it is numbered in the Bible as 1 Corinthians, it appears that it is the second letter Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul references a previously written letter that is no longer in existence, in which he admonished the church for their actions. The NIV uh, titles this particular passage as the need for self-discipline. Here, Paul again is trying to steer the believers in Corinth to the right track, that they might have put into their daily lives the habits and skills needed to run the race of life well, and in a way that is honorable to Christ. He gives them the encouragement they need to press on, and I believe that it can help us today. Again, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we will begin with verse 24. I'd invite you to stand as we hear from the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says the following, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. May it speak to our hearts. May it show us the places in our lives where we can change and improve and be better runners in the race that you have set out for us. Runners running with purpose. Speak to our hearts and minds today in Jesus' name. Amen. As I think about this notion of running the race that has been set before us, I have come up with a couple of ideas that I think might help us to effectively run the race that will help us achieve that enduring crown. First, I believe that if we are to run the race and run it well, we must prepare with passion. Proverbs 21.5 states the following, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. If we are to run and run well, we must be diligent in planning our race. We have to prepare. As many have said, a failure to plan is? Plan to fail. Thank you. I believe that Paul spent a good deal of time planning and preparing to run the race laid out before him. If you've ever read the book of Acts, it can be a little misleading in regard to the amount of time that passes between one chapter and the next. You pick up the text and it jumps right into the early work of the church, Pentecost, the stoning of Stephen, Paul's conversion, Philip and the Ethiopian, some of Peter's adventures, and then back to Paul where the book pretty much stays through the remainder of the narrative. The book of Acts kind of reads like a swashbuckling tale, the characters jumping from one event to the next. But in reality, there was a great deal of time between the events as they are written and described in the book. Most of the scholarship that we know of notes that there was 11 to 12 years between Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus and his first missionary journey. During this time, it is believed that Paul spent some time on a journey, which we will talk about soon. But he also set up a base of operations in the city of Tarsus, and he worked in and around the regions of Syria and Cilicia. It is believed that he preached in this region for four years. He also spent some time in Antioch during a season of famine. For a point of reference, I have included in your bulletin a reference from an author named Anna Fitch Curry, who wrote a devotional called Christ Walk. This book has a daily devotion, and it also has a variety of walking plans that emulate some of the distances Jesus and his predecessors would have traveled in the first century. She includes the approximate distances from Jerusalem to some of the towns Paul would have been frequenting at this time. For instance, Tarsus to Jerusalem, roughly 390 miles. Damascus to Jerusalem, 150 miles. Antioch to Jerusalem, 350 miles. So if Paul wasn't yet doing the missionary thing, what exactly was he doing during this time? I believe he was preparing I have to imagine as Paul was based in Tarsus, living and working in the regions of Syria and Cilicia, he was preparing himself to do the work God was calling him to do by learning about God, learning about himself, and learning about the people he was called to minister to. I think he was 
like many of us, a pretty prominent churchman in those days. He was showing up. He was growing in his knowledge of God and how much God loved him. And he was working through the ways in which God was calling him to minister. And I believe during this time of preparing, Paul was taking the lessons that he was learning and applying them in action in his everyday life. This preparation, I believe, was what Paul needed for the great tasks ahead that God would soon be calling him to. And I believe that preparing to do the work of God often comes through trial and error. And sometimes there are a lot of errors. I think of my own work in ministry, which began uh, quite inconspicuously as a volunteer in this church's youth department some 19 or so years ago, and developed into a youth intern, to youth pastor, to children's pastor, to administrative pastor. Now, I believe that the Lord has been with me all along on this journey, continuing to develop me and grow me into the leader that He was calling me to be, and you as a congregation have been there to support me and to show me grace in the midst of my shortcomings. You have been gracious in my preparation to follow God's calling, especially through the trial and error of many of my ways. I'm reminded of one particular instance some years ago. Uh, The youth group was leading worship service on a Sunday morning, highlighting an event that they had participated in over the weekend. I had written out my full plan, and I stuck to the the script, except for a couple of references to what I will only describe as things that would be really funny in a youth group setting, but not nearly as funny in a mixed company setting in a worship service. That week, I received an email from a couple that has now gone on to glory in the kingdom of heaven. And although they tried to be helpful in pointing out that there is, in fact, a certain time and place for such conversations, the only line that I can remember from that email was, if this was our first time here, we would have never come back. (sighs) Talk about trial and error. I learned a valuable lesson that day, and it is one I bring to mind when I stand in front of an audience. It is very rare that I will ever say anything off the cuff while I'm in front of an audience in this capacity, because the only time I have ever regretted saying something is when I said something that I didn't have written down. I stick to my script, and because of that trial and error moment in my life, I learned more about myself, what God was calling me to do, and I had a better appreciation for the people who were graciously allowing me to minister to them. When you prepare with passion, when you learn from your mistakes, and when you move forward, then you are able to catch a vision for what I think running with purpose is all about. The next idea I want to tackle in regard to running with purpose is to focus on training. You need to train with tenacity. Training is the part of an activity or event that, let's be honest, no one really wants to do. Nobody wants to train or practice. For example, Allen Iverson was an integral part of the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team in the early 2000s, but when you search his name 
on Google, one of the top 10 responses that comes up in the feed has to do with Iverson's feelings about practice. In May of 2002, Iverson delivered an incredible, somewhat nonsensical rant where he lamented the fact that he was even being asked questions about his practice habits at a media interview. The rant lasting over two minutes caught Iverson saying the word practice some 22 times. He concluded that it was silly and strange to even talk about it. Nobody enjoys practice. And this isn't just a phenomenon in sports. In my home, whenever Liam has something that he doesn't want to do, he tells us that it is boring. This is boring, Dad, he tells me, especially when it is time to do the reading part of his homework. It takes work to practice reading. But the thing that he doesn't realize is that I can see the improvement in his reading, and that is coming along in part because of the practice. The old adage is practice makes what? Perfect. This does have a tinge of truth to it. The more you practice, the more you learn, even if it is not quite enjoyable. The author of Hebrews had an idea about this. In chapter 12, verse 11, we find that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There is a benefit to practice, to training. For our our spiritual life, it can produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. But we have to get past the drudgery of practice. As mentioned earlier, the book of Acts again reads like a fast-paced action novel, moving from one bit of action to another. And here is another example of how the narrative reads a little bit different than the actual timeline. Here is Acts chapter 9, verses 25 through 26. This particular event has Paul escaping through, from Damascus through a basket as a group of people in town have been plotting to kill him. It says, But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. When you read this at face value, it's easy to presume that Paul escaped from Damascus in verse 25 and then immediately went to Jerusalem in verse 26. But by Paul's own account, we find that he wrote to the Galatians that there was a three-year time period between the events of Damascus and Jerusalem. Where was he? We can find in Galatians 1, 15 through 20, the answer. Paul writes, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him fifteen days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. For three years, Paul was a sojourner living in this place known to Paul and the Galatians as Arabia. This is the journey Paul embarked upon before he set up his shop in Tarsus. We don't actually know a lot about this region, Arabia, though most of scholars agree that it was a vast desert area. It was sparsely inhabited. 
could have included in its geography uh, the peninsula where Mount Sinai is located. Perhaps this was a land from a faraway place where the caravan camels roam, where it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. Perhaps Paul did indeed hop on a carpet and take a flight to another Arabian night. And now you will be singing that in your head the rest of the day. But not likely, though. So if he wasn't exploring the cave of wonders, riding on flying carpets, and interacting with a comical blue genie, what was Paul doing during this Arabian sojourn? Unfortunately, he doesn't say. But I believe that it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that Paul took some time to do some spiritual training. He had an example in Christ who took some time to wander in the wilderness where he was tempted. It certainly feels reasonable to think that Paul took this time to train, to listen to the voice of God in his life. Perhaps he did go all the way to Mount Sinai and check things out around there and see what the Lord was up to in that place. Whatever it was that Paul was doing, we know that after this journey, he really stepped up his preaching circuit and he began preaching in Damascus and Tarsus and Antioch, and he visited Jerusalem on more than one occasion and really began to engage in the work that God was calling him to. After the drudgery of practice, Paul was equipped and ready to go out and play the game, to be the teammate in the kingdom building that God had called him to. This idea of training, it would be well understood to Paul's audience in Corinth. According to the Beacon Bible Commentary, the Isthmian Games took place around Corinth. The Isthmian Games happened every two years, and in that era there were five major events. Discus throwing, leaping, racing, wrestling, and boxing. The Greek athlete would enter into a training period of ten months to prepare for these events. This training included intense exercise and extreme self-discipline. This is no different from the kind of training we see in sporting events today, even at the high school level. I have told parts of this story before, but it resonates well, so I will share it again. I can remember the summer between 8th and ninth grade. I had decided to go out for high school football. I thought it would be fun to play on the freshman team, but what I discovered is that they didn't have enough players for the junior varsity team, so all the freshmen got moved to JV. I was also about 115 pounds and discovered I didn't very much like getting hit. (laughs) So I had already given up on playing high school football after the first football camp, which ironically took place the week after the last week of school in eighth grade. I gave up on them, but wouldn't you know, the high school never gave up on me. All summer long, I got phone calls from my house from varsity players wondering why I wasn't coming to the summer weightlifting program or the passing league events or or any of those other, quote, optional voluntary activities that they were, some reason, taking attendance for. I didn't have what it takes to play football in high school. I didn't like the practices. It felt more like work, and I realized I could get paid to work. But for the athletes in Corinth... They treated their preparations for the Isthmian Games like it was their job. Ten months of intense exercise, carefully watching all of the food and drinks they consumed, making sure their body was in peak condition to be able to compete. 
the time of practice prepared them for the challenge ahead of them that they faced. In a lot of ways, we may find ourselves, too, in times of spiritual training, practicing the tools of our faith, growing in our understanding of who God is, learning from the example set before us by some of those coaches in our faith, discipling us and helping us to discover our calling for God that we might honor Him with our everyday lives. We get to play this game together, spurring one on another towards good deeds and holiness unto the Lord. This is what training with tenacity is all about, and this helps us achieve the goal of running with purpose. And after preparing with passion and training with tenacity, the last component I'd like to mention in regards to running with purpose is to execute with enthusiasm. Paul was an enthusiastic follower of Christ. After his time of preparing with passion and training with tenacity, Paul was sent out on not one, not two, but three missionary journeys. And during his time of travel, he was ministering from town to town, establishing churches, and also keeping up correspondence with other communities in other towns that he had been working in. Paul was excited about what Jesus had done in his life, and he set out with everything that he had to do what God had called him towards. Paul sums up his calling of God in his second letter to Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 7 states the following, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It didn't matter what Paul encountered on his way. He was enthusiastic about the challenging task of showing and sharing the love of God found in the person of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, we find a very interesting story crop up in chapter 19. You see, the city of Ephesus was the home base of sorts for the goddess Artemis. The Britannica website notes that Artemis was the Greek goddess of wild animals in the hunt, among many other things, and she was the primary deity in Ephesus. And the local tradesmen there made a pretty good living selling the wares of Artemis. Acts 19 tells us of a man named Demetrius, who is an Ephesian silversmith, who makes shrines of Artemis and makes good money doing so. Demetrius was seeing a hit in his sales, though, because of Paul. The Apostle Paul was teaching people about the way, the one true God, the God incarnate found in the person of Jesus Christ, not made out of human hands of silver or other fine materials. People were leaving their worship of Artemis to follow Jesus, and a population that won't worship a fake goddess also also won't buy silver shrines from the silversmiths. So Demetrius gathered up his craftsmen and said, this Paul guy, he's bad for business. And he is discrediting the great name of Artemis. We've got to do something about it. Demetrius had pushed the right buttons and he stirred up the entire city. They began shouting, great is Artemis of Ephesus. And soon they had the whole city in an uproar. The the roused crowd seized some of Paul's friends and they gathered in the theater of Ephesus. The best part is that our text says in Acts that the crowd was so chaotic, some people were shouting one thing and some people were shouting another, and most people did not even know why they were there. They just came to see what was happening. But the best part of this story is that in all of this, this chaos, this confusion, the midst of the anger and the shouting, we find the Apostle Paul. He is geared up. 
And he says, let me go into the theater so I can address the crowd. Acts 19, 30 through 31 notes the following. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, Paul's friends, sent a message begging him to not let him venture into the theater. Everybody, especially Paul, knew what kind of danger he might face going into a situation like that. But Paul was willing to put his well-being, his life on the line, for he saw in that angry mob an opportunity to share about the love of God found in the person of Jesus Christ. What everybody else saw as a certain risk of his life, Paul saw as an opportunity to further the cause of Christ. He was ready to execute with enthusiasm and only did not do so because everybody held him back. And if you read through the second book, half of Acts, Paul wisely paid attention and he took advantage of every opportunity he had to reach people for Jesus Christ. He never gave up on doing the work God had called him to do. That's running with purpose, running to achieve the prize of Christ. And sometimes it feels like we may never see the end of the race. There may be too many challenges or obstacles in our way. We may have um, others running the race with us that, that may race better with us, that might have their purpose more planned out. They might, they might be doing this, this Jesus life better than us. We do ourselves great harm when we compare our course in our race with that of others. Though they may have a similar path, no one runs the same race as we do individually. The original Star Wars movie closes with a powerful sequence. After successfully destroying the first Death Star, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and Chewbacca are led out in front of the entire Rebel Alliance in a ceremony to celebrate their heroics. As they stand before the gathered assembly, Princess Leia adorns Han Solo and Luke Skywalker with medals. She gives Chewbacca nothing. For years, a disconcerted discussion brewed in in fan circles of Star Wars lore, going, where is Chewie's medal? Why didn't he get a medal? If we are being honest, he was, in fact, the co-pilot of the ship. He had just as much part in that battle as Han Solo did. Chewie was anything but a sidekick. He should have got that credit, too. In all of the movies, we don't see any indication that Chewie was bothered by the fact that he didn't get a medal. But, you know, with the way he talks, you'd never really know. (laughs) But in the most recent movies, Chewie finally does get awarded a medal. And in the most poignant of ways, he receives, as a gift, the same medal that belonged to his friend and co-pilot, Han Solo. He was finally rewarded properly for his achievements and In a touching way, in honor and memory of his friend, it was a medal that was well-deserved. But as Paul writes in our passage, we do not run this race to achieve a medal or some crown that will not last. We run the race to achieve the crown of glory, adorned on our head by Christ who says to us, well good, well done, good and faithful servant. This is why we run. This is the real purpose of our running, to press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus, to assist in the mission to seek and save that which was lost, to bring people to a place of repentance, to reconcile their lives with a loving God 
who is desperate to be in relationship with them. This is why we execute with enthusiasm. This is why we train with tenacity. And this is why we prepare with passion. Because when we do these things, we can effectively run the race set before us with Christ as our forebearer, crucified, resurrected, and coming again. This is why we run with purpose, to show and share the love of God found in the person of Jesus Christ. As we conclude this time together, I want, you, I want to remind you that we do not run in vain when we prepare, when we train, when we execute that which God has called us towards, when we run with purpose towards the building of the kingdom of heaven, we will receive and reap the reward of our efforts. Paul writes this to the believers in Galatia, Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Run with purpose. Run with passion, tenacity, and enthusiasm. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Never give up on the call of God in your life. Seek to know God and his will for your life. Continue to do the good works he is calling you to. For a time will come when we finish the race and we can look back and see the spiritual harvest that has taken place because we chose to run with purpose and not give up. If you're a guest with us here today, um, let me just say that we are so blessed and so thankful for you uh, to be here with us. Um, We'd love for you to come back and experience the great love and fellowship that I believe exists here in the hearts of this church family. Uh, If you do not have a church home, we would love for you to make our church your home. And if you are joining us online, uh, thank you again for tuning in. We're just so thankful to have you here with us today. As we prepare to depart, may we be blessed by the words of Paul written to the church in Corinth. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank you once again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have set out a race for us, that you are the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Lord, help us to walk in your light as you are in the light. Help us to run with purpose. Help us to to run with passion and tenacity and enthusiasm that we might catch a glimpse of your kingdom here on earth, living in and through us. Give us your wisdom. Give us your discernment. Give us your hope that we might show it and share it with others. And Lord, as we close this time together, we we pray as you have taught us to pray in your word. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon, as well as other sermons, and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. 
It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.